Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome in to another episode of Little Sports Talk by Naraj. Hope you're all doing well. Been talking a lot of basketball lately as it's getting closer and closer to NBA Finals time. So, hope that you all still stay tuned as I uh, talk playoffs and we'll eventually get into some other topics as well. It's just been so much that's been going on, on and off. That's the grind, that's the day-to-day stuff you gotta do. Stay on top. So, you know, those things always come around for sure. So, you know, it looks like I was wrong about the Clippers uh, last night because they came out, played very desperately, looking to uh, win uh, game five, and they did, you know. I thought this was a goal opportunity for the Phoenix Suns to win Game 5 and, you know, get to the NBA Finals. But it looks like they'll have to really earn it on the road in Game 6 if they want to do that. Because the Clippers won yesterday 116-102. to And the biggest difference, to be honest, uh, was Paul George playing much better than he did play in Game 4. Paul George dropping 41 points. I mean, he really took it over in that third quarter, um, and even in the fourth quarter as well. You know, he made some really big-time shots. You know, you had guys like Reggie Jackson put up points late. You know, Patrick Beverly, one of the most annoying players in the NBA, uh, he had a three. Um, but the Clippers got what they needed. They played desperate. They pushed all the right buttons. The Phoenix Suns were sloppy with the basketball a lot, uh, which really limited their ability to close in on the gap. Because every time the Suns would rally and get close, the Clippers would find a way to make a bucket or two and get ahead. And, you know, DeAndre Aiden had an unusually quiet game. Wasn't his best. He didn't take many shot attempts either. Um, you know, so it was just more of a game in which Booker and Chris Paul played okay, but I really didn't like Devin Booker's performance, to be honest. I thought it wasn't where it should have been, especially for a Game 5. Uh, he's got to find a way to correct that and play much better down the stretch in the fourth quarter in Game 6, because he didn't really shoot well enough in my eyes and play well enough uh, at, at times to get it done. And, you know... A conference final was never easy. Felt like maybe the Suns were going to be able to get it done because they had really won a game four in which you know they got a couple of calls their way. Thought they would come out scoring, getting things done, um, but they just really lost themselves in the third quarter and that end stretch, and then they couldn't you know they couldn't find their way back into the game after that. You know, Clippers kind of took it to them. You know, you had. Marcus Morris played much better. Marcus Morris has been really quiet the last couple of games. He actually shot pretty well, had 22 points. The Marcus Cousins came in, provided a boost with 15. You know, so you saw some, you know, things that you weren't expecting from the Clippers. And when you're playing with nothing to lose, down 3-1, played a little bit loose-free. You know, all the pressure was on the Phoenix Suns to win. The Suns didn't get it done. The Suns didn't get it done. Um... And they're really going to have to earn it. As is for any NBA Finals appearance, you got to really earn it. Nothing's a given anymore. And I really felt that the Suns 
just kind of didn't have it, you know, well enough in the fourth quarter to win. They weren't able to get stops, but better better than that, the Clippers executed. They executed, hit shots. They didn't miss. They didn't miss. Um, you know, they kept it. They kept it right in their control, and they got the victory. You know, so obviously the whole thing is now is that are they going to be able to get a Kawhi Leonard? You know, are they going to get Kawhi Leonard back at all in this series? The longer this drags out, the more chances likely that Kawhi Leonard may be able to play. And, you know, I thought this was a good opportunity for the Suns to get it done, as is most people probably thought. Um, but now it goes to L.A. once again. And, you know, it's just something that the Suns really, if they really want to make it to the NBA Finals, they're really going to have to show up and play a really good game um, from start to finish on the road. You know, because the Clippers have been in this situation, obviously, before. And, you know, it does not bode well for the Phoenix Suns if they don't get better shooting from their supporting cast because you did not see a Mikhail Bridges have a good game. Um, Cameron Payne seemed limited at times. You know, there was a, a couple of spots where shot making and decision making was pretty poor. And I think that the Suns, if they really, they need to really shore that up. They need to shore that up. They got to give DeAndre Aiden more touches in the paint, I think. Uh, and Devin Booker's got to play much better in control. At times, I felt like he was just kind of forcing the issue a lot. Um, the Suns got to play a little bit more faster in the half court. I think they're going a little bit too slow at times. They got to kind of push the pace a little bit. Try to find ways to attack the basket. Because they weren't able to dominate, they weren't able to dominate in the paint or in the fast break as much, and that is two things that the Suns do definitely need to do, which have led them up to this point of three-two in this series. They need to be able to get that balanced effort from their from their bench. You know, you gotta see Cameron Johnson, Cameron Payne put up points and put up points big time. You know, the Clippers did that much better. Jackson and Paul George really stepped it up and. You know, prove prove all of us wrong yesterday, um, because you know you really felt like the series could have been over yesterday. But now, goes to L.A. and all the pressure shifts to the Phoenix Suns being able to close it out, trying to not let what's happened this postseason to uh, the Mavericks and um, the Jazz happen to them. So we're gonna find out a lot about Phoenix now because. You know, they are the ones that are, you know, up in this series, got a chance to close it out. They didn't do it last night. So they got to find a way to deliver on Wednesday night because if it goes to a game seven, uh, it's just going to be really hard to pick a pick a winner either way. And, you know, it. if anything, this favors the Clippers right now going to a game six. So the Suns really want to get it done and earn it. They're going to have to do it on the road. And this will be the true test for the Phoenix Suns. Can they do what the Utah Jazz failed to do um, against the Clippers in, in the conference semifinals?
So in this next segment, I just want to talk about a uh, pretty cool accomplishment in the WNBA, um, and that is Diana Taurasi, who becomes the uh, first player in WNBA, I think, history to score 9,000 points, career points in her career. Uh, Diana Taurasi has been one of the most uh, most well-loved, respected, known athletes in the WNBA for years. And she's always come back and been able to put on a, um, a great performance every single time she plays. Um, and what a journey she's had in her career. You know, she is one of those longtime vets in the WNBA who has seen it all, you know, all the way moving her way up, all the way, all these years being able to deliver for the Phoenix Mercury, um, winning three WNBA championships. You know, all NBA, all WNBA first team, second team. Uh, she's also represented the United States women basketball team really well over the years, and she will be part of the Olympic Games coming up um, next month. So, looking at Diana Taurasi, I mean, what a milestone for her in her career. You know, she's done everything that you would want to do as a player in basketball, being able to win championships. MVPs, uh, leading the league in scoring, and you know she is like the all-time leading scorer in WNBA history now. So what a remarkable achievement! And you know she came back recently and and eclipsed you know 9,000 points, um, battling some injuries early on this year. And so whenever she plays, she makes all her teammates better um, in, in a very profound way. You know, and just to think about her, her career overall, like 17 seasons with the Phoenix Mercury, being loyal to one franchise, uh, really shows a lot of perseverance, commitment, um, and love for her teammates and coaches along the way of her journey. You know, that stands out a lot to her. And the thing that she was her first overall pick in 2004, wasn't really much of a score early on, but really developed into it. And, you know, being able to play in many games, playoff games, dropping 25-plus points a game. And she brought the best in herself and, you know, way she was able to elevate her game throughout the years. It's truly remarkable. Truly remarkable, especially with how the Phoenix Mercury had so much turnover in their roster. Uh, She was the one constant in all of that and, you know... Coming from California, being able to just you know, put it all out there and you know, play at a high level. That's what this is all about in the WNBA, is being able to play at the highest level. You know, being able to, um, you know, stay the course, you know, find your way uh, to kind of adapt your game. And so, you know, with all these, uh, you know, younger players in the WNBA, Diane Taurasi is still... Um, a huge part of just developing and kind of inspiring a lot of other of the athletes to kind of pursue and, and you know stick with their franchises but they're not really like you know the reason she wanted to stay she because she was you know she was so uh, you know impressed and embedded in that culture that Phoenix Mercury had for her that she never wanted to change you know she was winning she was winning and even when she wasn't winning she still loved the organization more than anything and sometimes you know 
organizations have a lot of turnover and some players don't want to stay in one team. Um, it's hard to do sometimes, you know, for the, your entire career when you're in a nine-win situation. But I think for Diana, already being a champion, and even though the Phoenix Mercury haven't been in the conversation as much lately for the WNBA championship, sure they will be a team still to watch out for and her excellence has really spoken out you know age of 39 years old already um and when she does retire she'll be really um well missed by a lot of her peers because in one way or another throughout her 17 years she's made a lot of great friendships a great um you know connection with a lot of people and her play speaks for herself her resume speaks for herself she will be a future hall of famer no doubt um, I can't wait to see what she does after basketball. That's what I'm really looking forward to seeing as well. Is what does she do after her basketball career? You know, because that's the next thing that comes to mind is, you know, being able for her to, like, obviously she still wants to play. And maybe she may call it after this year. Who knows? Hopefully she continues to play at a high level. Um, but I really want to see what she does after, after the WNBA career, you know. That's something that I really want to see how she kind of grows and continues to be a, a really important and big, and a big, you know, influence and part of the WNBA going forward. So in this next segment, I want to bring back a NFL segment that I started last year when my podcast uh, first got going, and that is the NFL team season outlook. And this is officially season two of me doing this, so um, I want to do it um, a little bit early as a lot of teams to get into, a lot of teams to cover, obviously going to be a busy month coming up ahead and then some so a whole lot to get into i'm going to try to tackle division by division in the afc and the nfc and i will decide to start with the nfc east um and you know work my way up there so you know obviously i just love being able to talk about football and kind of break down certain things that i'm looking forward to watching and especially with this NFL season coming up with the 17-game schedule, with the same kind of playoff format from last year, not going forward. There's just so much intrigue for this NFL season, and I really want to get into all of that um, you know, as the days continue here to the summer. So I'm going to start with the NFC East, and I'm going to do the season outlook today for the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, so... I'm going to start with the Philadelphia Eagles, um, just because that's the way I want to do it. Um, so the Philadelphia Eagles are coming off a season in which, you know, they were dealing with a lot of turmoil, a lot of changeover, um, a lot of you know, inconsistent play, bad coaching in some spots. Um, they went through a lot last year. The Eagles finished 4-11 and last year, 4-11-1. and and you know the whole thing all season long was the talk about Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz, and this offense that wasn't able to always put up good amount of points. They struggled to move, move the ball, with football. As a result, that defense that was once stout kind of really hit some tough stretches last year where they lost some games, 
give up a lot of points. We're on the field for a whole lot period of time. And so for this upcoming season, the Eagles have hoping to change that as they expect improvement from their rookie from, from their wide receiver Jalen Rager. Um, Jalen Hurts was drafted last year. He's had a full full off season now. Well, you know, about to be a full off season in which he has learned the Eagles playbook. Look at their situation at quarterback. I mean, you have Jalen Hurts as your starter, most likely. Joe Flacco, backup. Nick Mullins back there. Uh, you have a first-year head coach in Nick Sarani, who is expected to do great with Jalen Hurts as his quarterback. You know, the Eagles are obviously rebuilding a little bit, where, you know, they still have a stout defense that, you know, they added Ryan Kerrigan on defense to, you know. So they added somebody who's familiar with the NFC East and playing against the NFC competition. You know, their cornerback situation is a little bit dicey. They still got guys on that defense, uh, and I think Fletcher Cox as well, uh, that are looking to kind of bounce back this year. Look at the additions to their, to their offense. I mean, you know, you do have Carrion Johnson uh, joining, the, joining the running back group there with Jordan Howard. And you have Devonta Smith being also being a new addition to the Eagles offense. So the Eagles have reloaded a little bit on both sides of the ball. And, you know, the biggest thing now is can they win enough games this year, you know? Obviously, more teams are going to have had, have, had, had time to, um, you know, view and study Jalen Hurts and what he can bring to the table. And so, I think the biggest thing for the Eagles this year is that they're going to need really good, consistent quarterback play. Because that's what really doomed them last year with Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson, all the turmoil. The locker room was divided. The Eagles didn't come out and compete well enough. They had a chance to compete for the division towards the end, but they weren't able to win enough games and get it done. You know, so the whole thing is that can the Eagles get a consistent quarterback play from Jalen Hurts? Can he be? Can he elevate with the talent that's around him? Because they've added quite a bit to their offense, uh, which they should be better. But how better will they be? That is all on Jalen Hurts. I think the second thing for the Eagles this year is that that defense that you know did finish, I think, third in sacks last year. Can that defense be elite in those prime time, big time matchups? You know, as good as Jalen Hurts and as offense may or may not be. The Eagles defense did have some tough losses last year where they gave up a lot of points and some stretches. So can they kind of play well in the secondary? Can they avoid the big mistakes? You know, can they keep it close enough? That's the biggest thing, you know. Can they keep it close enough? Can they keep um, staying in the game? Can they get turnovers more so than anything? That's the biggest thing with the Eagles is that how can they even do be better in the, in the pass rush, but can their secondary hold up against more elite offenses that will throw a lot in their directions. And then finally, Nick Sarani, the first year head coach, you know, how is he going to be able to adjust with the, with the ups and downs of, of this season? You know, he obviously is coming from the Indianapolis Colts and Frank Reich, you know, has a bright mind, has a lot of ideas, you know, how soon can he Went over this locker room. How soon can he get players to buy into his system, his offensive, you know, 
game plans. That's going to be huge. The quarterback relationship between Hurts and Nick Sarani are going to be really crucial for the Eagles this year. Obviously, Nick Sarani is going to try to do things in the best way possible to not put too much pressure on Jalen Hurts. What kind of coaching things will he do differently than Doug Peterson? And will the will the locker room will the locker room be ready ready for that? You know, will the locker room be ready for that? Will they be able to embrace his coaching style because he is a young young coach and there's a lot of veteran players on the Philadelphia Eagles that are looking uh, to make something happen. You know, obviously a lot of guys looking to either get paid, get a contract extension things along those natures um, so you know what is Nick Sarney going to do is he going to be able to hold his own against more experienced head coaches you know is he going to be able to hold his own will he be able to make those game time decisions you know those are the things that Nick Sarney is facing in his first year as a head coach you know so that will be something to watch um, going forward as for their schedule for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, look at some of the key games they do have. I mean, they're on the road at Atlanta to get off uh, to kick off the season. You know, they're at Dallas, they're at Las Vegas. They got home games against Kansas City, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, and San Francisco. You know, I think based on the Eagles and how they looked last year and the kind of turnover they've had. Look, this team. And I'm going to be objective, not you know, not taking into consideration my disdain or hate towards the Eagles when, when, my, when the Giants play them. But being objective here, the Eagles have kind of a fresh kind of start in terms of coach. You know, we got a fresh start at coach, a quarterback, you know, wide receiver Devonta Smith. You know, you got Zach Ertz still being there. Who knows if he may be on this team later on. Goddard's there. You got Richard Rodgers. Uh, the Eagles have much better talent, and I think with a, a new coach in Sarani and Hurts as quarterback, this Eagles offense is going to be better. And this defense is obviously going to be looking to kind of prove themselves to be one of the elite defenses again. So if I had to pick a record right now for the Eagles of what they may look like, because Honestly, with the 17-game schedule, with the 17 games now, it's hard to predict, you know, what record will really qualify for the postseason. Um, but if I had to kind of go and make a, you know, make a assumption about it, you know, I would think that for most of the teams making the postseason, they need to have at least 10 or more wins, at least 10 or 11 more, 11 wins to make the postseason. Maybe nine is is a starting point. Um, but looking at the Eagles and the kind of games they have this schedule, look, Jalen Hurts has a lot to prove. He's a lot to prove still. Um, you know, obviously a lot of the Alabama quarterbacks have a lot to prove coming up in the years ahead. And I just look at Jalen Hurts, and obviously he is the guy now. He is the one who's going to be in the spotlight. I think that seeing how the season might go, I could see the Eagles probably winning a couple more games than last year. So I want to go with 6-11 for the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that they're going to be able to win a couple more games. I don't think they're going to win three, four games. I think they're going to win about six games. 
six games I think the Eagles are going to win. Um, I think most of those wins are going to come against the... I think a couple of wins are going to come against the division. Um, but I think they're going to lose a lot of these games because I think that some of the coaches that Nick Sarani is going to be going, going up against, I think that the Eagles are going to kind of fall behind in a lot of these games. And I, I don't think that they're going to be able to come back, make comebacks in, in these games they fall behind. If the Eagles, do, if Eagles start off well and get on the board first, I think they'll be okay. But I just can't see them being competitive enough to keep up with, with a high-scoring offense or a defense that may be able to kind of limit Jalen Hurts. They're going to test him a lot this year, and I think that he's going to struggle with some things. So I'm going to say the Eagles will go 6-11 in 2021. Uh, I think they'll win a couple more games. I think you'll see Devonta Smith do wonders for this offense. Uh, but I think that they'll be limited by their ability to win the big-time games on their schedule, especially at home. I don't see them winning against Tampa or Kansas City at home. Um, and I think that along this season, I think that there's going to be much better. You're going to see a much better Dallas team, a much better New York Giants team. Uh, that can be said for anybody, but I just think that with the Eagles, all the kind of change over at roster and with a new coach, I think they're going to. I think Nick Sirianni is going to have a, have a tough time with some things on, on on his plate. I think the Eagles defense will play much better. They'll give them a chance in every single game. Um, but I don't think the Eagles are going to be able to to win more than six games this year. Um, it could happen, maybe seven, possibly. You know, if if, if I really want to stretch it, uh, but I think six, seven wins would be where I will follow the Eagles, and you know what the record would be. I don't see them winning ten games, or I think they would definitely winning under ten, winning less than ten games. I would say about six games. Is what, what I'm going to go with for, for the Philadelphia Eagles. So in this next segment, I want to talk about the New York Giants and their season outlook for the 2021 season. Now, I am doing it a bit early, as I mentioned, because I want to get through hopefully all of the um, divisions and teams. So I'll try to get it going, obviously, uh, as much as I can throughout the next month and hopefully into August. So the New York Giants finished 6-10 and 10 last year, and I just know that, you know, it was the first year with Joe Judge and this group. And the Giants finished six and ten, came pretty close to making the postseason. Obviously, the tiebreakers and everything, the Eagles not winning um, or winning the game, whatever it was, I forget now. Uh, kind of cost the Giants had a chance at the postseason. Uh, but under Joe Judge, the Giants did start off a little bit slow, but he got them playing at a very high level down the stretch. And look at the Giants' record overall. They could have easily have been 10-6, and six, you know. A lot of the games, I think almost about seven games last year, um, seven giant games last year were decided by one possession or less, you know. So, you saw them play hard, compete really well against some teams, and find ways to get some quality wins. Um... 
you know, but like I say, it came down to a one possession game or so. And, you know, looking at the defense and what they, you know, this offseason, I mean, re-signing Leonard Williams was a huge plus. Um, in free agency, being able to get, you know, cornerback Dory Jackson was huge. Drafting Aziz Ojolari, the linebacker, was a, was a big move for the defense. Um, so the Giants made some improvements across the board. On offense, they added wide receiver Kenny Galladay to the mix. Kyle Rudolph, you know, and they also drafted Kadarius Tony. So, look at the Giants. They've definitely assembled a really good roster with, with more depth than last year. And that is, is going to be a huge difference, I believe, for them this year. You know, in terms of, you know, injuries and everything, Saquon, health, Saquon Barkley is going to be healthy, hopefully by the time the regular season starts. So... It's a lot of good things for the Giants that they've added offense and defense and obviously Joe Judge now in year two with Daniel Jones who's, having, who's gonna have a big who, who's facing a big year I think this is Jones third year um, gonna be a, a starter and the time for Daniel Jones is now to really uh, step it up and, and, and play there's no excuses now for Daniel Jones he hopefully is healthy can play a full season um, he's gonna have to step it up and really prove he can be the face of face of the franchise, face of the face of this team. There's a terms of the quarterback spot. Uh, he's got to bring the best out of himself, especially in the tight games this year. In the big time, prime time games, the games the Giants have to win and, and and need to win. He needs to be at top of his game. You know, he's got to shine and and make it happen with this offense that. Is you know, you still got Sterling Shepard and Slayton, Kenny Galladay. There's a lot of weapons on this this Giants offense that Jason Garrett and him together are gonna have to be able to get it done offensively. And you know, there are a couple of games last year where you felt like he could have played much better. Um, but now the, the turnovers and all that that needs to he needs to eliminate all those turnovers and really for focus on winning the games being at his best when the Giants needed him to win those games in the fourth quarter. You know, but just looking at what the Giants are facing this year, I think the first thing is, you know, for Joe Judge, obviously he's facing a lot, um, you know, facing a lot of challenges because anytime, you know, you're in year two, year three, as a coach, you have a lot to kind of work with and you have to make a lot of decisions to make. So Joe Judge did respond well. Uh, after the Giants kind of got to a slow start in the last season. Um, you know, so what is Judge going to be able to do differently? How is he going to kind of keep this team going the right direction? You know, in terms of, like, what are he, what he's going to be able to bring to the table. You know, I, I really want to see uh, what kind of impact Joe Judge has on the rookies and these players, and especially on, on the overall defense because, you know, the defense obviously – was playing well last year, um, you know, and they've drafted some good players as well to kind of make sure that the defense is on track. But for Joe Judge, I want to see how he's able to kind of manage things differently. You know, where is he going to have more input in in this season? You know, that is something something huge to watch because, you know, 
as he gets more and more into like these games situations, you know, being able to prepare Daniel Jones and keep and get him in the right mindset, you know, that's going to come down to Joe Judge, you know, being able to do what he was doing last year, but even at a higher level. If he can coach at a high level, the Giants will also be able to respond to that really well, and maybe maybe make go on a run possibly this year if they can stay healthy and play the right way in those big time games. So, and then you look at another important part about this season, Saquon, Saquon Barkley's health. Saquon Barkley's had a rough go of injuries lately, you know, and him being available and healthy and ready to play is the biggest, biggest thing for the Giants' success. Having a running game is what they kind of struggled to have last year. So, being able to have a running game, along with Daniel Jones being able to be accurate with the football down the field and not making those bad decisions is crucial if they want to win the division. They have to be able to get it done uh, big time, you know, in those situations. And then, I would say that Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, our wide receiving core gotta be able to produce more at a high level and that will obviously come with Daniel Jones being better you know but in terms of Kenny Galladay you know Kadarius Tony, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton all these guys really need, need to make sure that they are able to be in the right spot uh, really do a good job against the lead coverage that they're gonna face this season because they need more wide receiving production uh, no doubt um, they need everyone to contribute and be a factor this year on offense from every spot, even especially the tight end group as well. With Rudolph and with with uh, you know Ingram, if he makes a roster, that is the biggest thing: is that they need production from everywhere uh, to keep this offense going in the right direction. So looking at the schedule here and the key games the Giants do have on tap. You know, they're at Tampa, they're at Kansas City, they're at Miami, they're at the Chargers. Some tough contests for sure. Um, you know, and they look at home games here. You got Los Angeles. Um, you know, you got Denver to start off. And obviously the division rivals. So, look, the Giants have haven't, has, they haven't had the best playoff success in recent years. It's been very, um, it's been very tough for the Giants to make a run in the postseason. You know, I think since 2016, I think the last time they were in the postseason, you know, the, the whole expectation for the Giants is to make the postseason. Um, that's what they've been talking about a lot, right? They haven't been in there, been in that spot in a long, long time, and it starts with them winning the division. So, Daniel Jones, Joe Judge, this defense, I mean, they got to come out and play well. From the get-go, they cannot get off to a slow start this year. They have to be able to win games, stay on track, but also be able to have progress in a lot of areas. Those big-time games that they need to win, they need to go on the road and win. I think last year there were some games that they could have won on the road, and they didn't. So even though they're going to be playing the Chiefs on the road, at Tampa on the road. Miami on the road. The Giants have to bring their best A game to every game. You know, they have to be able to win and be able to win in a good way. Now, it's easier said than done, but, you know, this roster has talent on both sides of the ball. Um, they 
need to be able to win those division games, be much better against Dallas, especially. Um, and obviously, Washington is not going to be easy to beat again twice like they did last year. So it's going to be a challenging season for the Giants. I'm optimistic that, that Daniel Jones will be able to make another leap. Um, in terms of like the record the Giants may have this year, if I had to go with the best record uh, as of right now that they may have, I'm going to say they're going to win about 9 to 10 games. I'm, I want to say 10 games. I'm going to say best case, the Giants win 10 games. Uh, they go 10-7. and seven. Now, I don't know if that will be enough to make the postseason, um, but I could see them winning 10 games. If they're able to kind of clean up on the mistakes they had last year, especially in the games last year that they really lost, um, and, you know, at home, if they're able to just find a way to clean up some mistakes, they could win some on the road, maybe more. Um, actually, they win 10 games. They'll be 10-7. and seven. Hopefully, they'll qualify for a playoff spot. Um, but I just really want to see the Giants be able to to be in the hunt for the playoff conversation. You know, obviously, I would love to see them make it. And the one path to that is making winning the division. Um... But I'm gonna just hold on to the fact that they may they may finish ten and seven, and I'm hoping that'll be good enough either for the division lead and possibly get a playoff spot. But they gotta be able to improve and stop being in the range of five to six wins, you know, seven wins these last two three years. They need to find a way to get over the hump and win nine to ten games, and I think they will this this year with. It motivated Daniel Jones with an offense that's much more, more you know, spread out, more options. The defense that's healthy, gonna have key pieces back, ready to go. I think they find a way to win about ten games this year, be more competitive, and be in the hunt, be in the hunt for the postseason, um, because they haven't been that way for for a while. And Joe Judge, hopefully, he's able to continue having success. And even more better success in year two because we'll definitely need him to be on his game as, as well as as a collective group of the Giants. You know, based on how they've looked uh, throughout the past few years, they gotta find a way to get back to being a team that can compete for the division for the postseason. And hopefully, they make the steps for that starting this NFL upcoming season.